0: Continuing what I shared on last week, this this message is just lighting me up. I I began to see this message. I mean, it takes years for God to put stuff in you. You know, where we're developing, we're on growth. But this message has been going off in me for a couple of years. But in the last month or so, it's been exploding again, and it's going deeper in me. I can't get out. I can hardly get out of First John. And when I do, I usually escape into John, (laughs) and then I go back to 1 John, and then I've been trying to read some other stuff too, but I just keep getting drawn back to this message. If you did not hear last week, the good news is you can, and I encourage you to do this because I'm continuing on the message that I preached last week, which is a continuation of the message I preached about a year and a half ago. The first one you can get on our podcast, it is confidence through love free to be me okay and then last week's i don't even know that it's on the podcast yet because jesse's was in scotland but um but it will be soon if not you can always go to our youtube page or our rumble page which we now have we want to have rumble going because we already got kicked off of youtube once we just we're ready to go so if we get kicked off again we're we're there's no you know we're right there already rolling in rumble so But I encourage you to go back and look at it because I really do believe this is one of the most important messages for any of us to grip. Um, This is the game changer, and I believe that with all my heart. And I want to talk a little bit about the Apostle John, but before we do, I want to start off in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't know if people feel like this. Sometimes I feel like people feel like this. Our feelings aren't always accurate, but I feel like people feel like this, that sometimes it's like when you say, hey, we're going to talk about love. It's just like, oh, come on. Can't we talk about something exciting? If you feel like that, please put those feelings in check a minute because I can promise you this is the most exciting message there is. And I'm not just saying that. When when the light bulb goes on and you get it and you see it, This is the most exciting message there is. And I'm going to continue on what we talked about last night. Love, it's a game changer. Now, I want to talk about how it's a game changer and how we get to where God wants us to be. But before I do, I'm going to just read 1 Corinthians 13, and then I want to talk about Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but Revelation from God. All right, 13.1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That right there, just right there, right off the bat. You know, Paul, this is like a sandwich in between the gifts of the Spirit, focused on love, and then he's back on the gifts of the Spirit. God wants the gifts of the Spirit flowing, but they always have to be sandwiched with love or they'll be used wrongly. They really will. If, if you are walking in the gifts of the Spirit and you want to, it is actually, we have the potential to be used of God's Spirit and not do it in love. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You can walk in the gifts of God without walking in love. But Paul tells us, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, it's just noise. And if I have a gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to, so as to move or to remove mountains, you know, faith moves mountains. It's a true statement. Jesus says, whoever says to the mountain, be taken up, cast seed, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it shall be granted to him. Faith moves mountains, but you know, you can have faith like that and not, know, and not walk in love. And he says right here, it profits nothing. So doing all these signs and wonders and being used of God is meaningless if love is not at the core of it. Now, if so, I've had people who's proven to struggle in love give me words that were awesome that helped change my life. I'm so thankful for the benefit of the word that came through them, but it, and it profited me something, but it didn't profit them anything. When he says that we do all this but not have love, it profits nothing. He's not saying it doesn't profit the people that get ministered to. He's saying it's not profiting you anything. There's no, there's no great reward for that. You have your reward, and let me explain that a second. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Here's the thing. You can do things for the wrong reason. You can do good things, even God things, for the wrong reason. Y'all realize that? Two people can do the exact same thing with two totally different hearts. And focuses. God does not want, let me get, here, here's a good example of it. Jesus, and we. I said this last week, and I just mentioned this again. You know, when Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, or, filled, you know, the dove came down. He was filled with, the, God's Spirit came on him. Um, he was baptized. He came up. The dove, it was really the Holy Spirit, but he came down in the appearance of a dove, landed on Jesus, And a voice came from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So before Jesus starts his ministry, he starts it off with the Lord's heart for who he is. This is my beloved son. Before you've done anything, I want you to know something, son. You are my beloved son, and I'm so pleased with you. So Jesus gets that that admonition from the Lord, and then the Spirit leads him into the desert where he's tempted of the devil. And the devil says, if you're the Son of God. The voice just said you're the Son of God, right? But if you're the Son of God, command this, bread, this stone to become bread. Now, we know Jesus, and I mentioned this last week, so just keep hearing it again. I'm telling you some of the most important things we got to hear over and over and over and over again to get inside of us. So just, just keep listening. Don't shut down. But <clears throat> Jesus multiplied the food. He multiplied the fish and the loaves. So there's nothing wrong with doing miracles to multiply food out of thin air. Or to, there's nothing wrong with turning a stone into, into bread. But why was it a temptation? What was the sin that would have been involved that the devil tried to tap, trap the sun in? This was the temptation if you're the son of God, then do this. And that's the temptation for all of us because there is a reality to the fact that we can command mountains to leave. We can give our body to be burned. We can give to the poor. We can do all these things. But if we're doing it from a place of, man, I need to do this to show who I am, then that's the temptation because now we've moved outside of the love of God and we no longer believe it. We're no longer believing what he says about this. And now we're trying to do something not in order to be a blessing for someone else, but for somehow make my identity sure. I gotta do this so that my identity sure is, so I feel good about who I am. I'm doing this for a notch on the belt so I can somehow feel like I measure up. If you're the son of God, if you're God's son, if you're God's chosen one, if God loves you, if you're this, if you're that, prove it by doing these things. I've lived a good chunk of my early life doing works for God in order to feel good about who I am, to prove that I'm really God's special one. I'm really called of God. I used to, um, Margaret, you're comfortable, aren't you? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You know, I I had a dream one time, and, you know, Morningstar has a school of ministry in Charlotte, and um, in the dream, I was there with Rick, and I was noticing all the students walking around like apes, you know, they had these little bitty legs, and all their weight was down on their knuckles like that, on their hands, And they're walking around on their hands. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, what the heck? Because all of them are walking around, lean forward with all their weight on their hands. And I woke up from that. I'm like, Lord, what is that about? Well, what are our hands? Our works, what we do. We do with our hands. All their weight was positioned on their hands. And there's a problem God calls us to do miracles. He calls us to prophesy. He calls us to heal the sick. He sent the 70 out. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. These are all things that we're called to do, but if we have allowed those things to somehow become our identity in who we are, we've missed it. God wants us to do those things, but he doesn't want us to do those things out of a need to validate my self-worth. Y'all get it? And that's the problem with students because, and I was, I was one of them. You start learning about these stuff, and they had these faith courses, which I think are great ideas. There's a great idea. I'm not knocking the idea, and I'm not knocking the school. I'm just talking about the process that we go through in it. There's these faith courses that got, he would send these kids off to cities, and they had to do so many check the boxes, heal somebody on the streets, and the thing, the, the motive behind it was to get people to believe God for stuff that's outside the box. Believe your father that he's got these things for you. But what happens is you come back and you hear all these incredible miracles and all the things that God's doing, and I would sit there and I would feel like, oh man, I haven't done that lately. I haven't done anything like that, and I would feel less than. You know what I mean? I would feel insecure about it. And I would feel, oh man, and I would feel so much fear about going out and trying to make those things happen, but I would feel so worthless about who I was that I would have to go out and try to make, so it caused this war inside of me because I was terrified to go do all that stuff, but I was terrified not to because I have to prove that I'm worthy to be a minister, to be, I'm called, I'm who I, you know what I mean? But that's, that's the same thing that Satan brought to Jesus. He said, if you're the son of God, The Father already said He's the Son of God. You're my beloved Son, this in whom I'm well pleased. We can't do the works in order to validate who we are. We do the works because we already know who we are. I'm loved. I'm a son of the kingdom. I don't have to do anything to gain His worth or His or or my value. I'm beloved because I'm His. My children don't have to work for my love. They're they're mine because they're mine. They're loved because they're mine. I love my kids. I would lay down my life for my kids. Why? Because they're perfect? No. Because they do everything right? Because they keep their room clean? Heck no. (laughs) It's because they're mine. And you are the Lord's beloved. He loves you. And out of that place where I'm no longer needing that validation because I'm so full of the Father's love, now I can heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devil. I don't need it for a notch. I just love you, and I want to help you. And if you're struggling with something, I want to be able to prophesy and speak life to you. If you need healing, I want to pray for you because I love you, and I don't want you to hurt. I'm not doing this to gain anything for me because I don't receive my affirmation from things anymore because I've learned that's illegal. It's illegal when I allow my heart to feed on my self-worth based upon the works that the Spirit does through me. It's illegal. My validation must come. The Father loves me. I'm His. Whether I do that or I don't do that, it has nothing to do with it. I'm His. I'm His beloved. We continue down 1 Corinthians 13, and we learn about love. Um, I'm just going to say this in passing, Bob Jones, a, a prophetic minister, not Bob Jones University, but a different Bob Jones, he had an encounter, I think it was in 73 or 74, where he died, and when he went to heaven, and uh, when he he saw two lines, there was believer's line, you, you had been born again, and there was a line heading to heaven, and everybody was in line waiting for the Lord to come kiss them. <laughs> And then there was a line that was heading off into hell. And Bob, the thing that was, in, that was amazing to Bob was when the believer's line, these were people already born again. They already were already saved, so don't, don't misconstrue this message. It's by faith in the Son of God that gets us into that line. But for those already in the line, those that have been born again, have been saved, he asked them one question. Did you learn to love? And I believe, with all my heart, that that's going to be the question for believers. And I think the Scripture backs this up. What is the greatest commandment? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself? When we get there, it's not going to be how many miracles did you do, how many people you led to the Lord, how much this, how much that. It's going to be, did you learn to love? Because the Father is love. God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. And if he's growing inside of us and we're and we're growing up into all, spe- all aspects into him, according to Ephesians 4, then we have to be growing up into love because that's at the core of who he is. And if you're not growing up in your love, you're not growing up in him. If love is not increasing in your life, love for God and love for your fellow man then I want to just say to you, you're not abiding in Him. You're not growing. Now, you're not going to have this instantly. This is a growth. You grow into it, okay? You know, every place in the Scriptures where there's a commandment, like do this, you know, the Scripture says speak the truth in love, or it says, uh, you know, love one another. Every time you find a commandment in Scripture, it's pretty much is one of those things where it. it it's something that's not easy to do, because God wouldn't command you to do stuff that's natural. He doesn't command you to, hey, breathe. He, God never commands us to breathe. Why? Because it's automatic. We do it naturally. He doesn't c- command us to um, to love myself, although he does, and actually some of us don't do that very naturally, but there is a selfishness in us that we're pretty good about wanting to take care of ourselves generally. The commandments come when something's difficult, and I'm going to tell you that love is not natural in our fallen state, and it's not easy. All right, so how do we get there? 1 John 4.19, I'm just going to read this real quick. I can promise you, there's a children's worker right now. There's learning love. <laughs> Lord, help them. <laughs> you know, let me just say this. That's the purpose. That's part of the purpose of church. Church. God designed church someplace that you can go and get hurt. He designed church for you to be wounded for you to have your toes stepped on, for you to get offended. Why? Because that's the process of learning love. Love has to be learned. And in the process, if if love was easy, we would just do it. It has to be learned. You have to feel your flesh screaming to beat the mess out of that person in front of you and you... Grip your tongue. I love my neighbor as myself. And you're and you're passing a test, but it's a a, it's a process. Now you're crawling, but there's going to come a point in your growth that you're looking at that person and you're not gritting your teeth anymore. You actually love them while they're jabbing you and stabbing you and stepping on your feet, and you don't even care. Why? Because let's find out why. First John 4, 17. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So we see that love is perfected. It's a process of being perfected in us. It's not an automatic, it's a perfection that takes place. It's being perfected. That's a that's a perfected is that word that means it's continuing to happen. It's growing, it's continuing by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. If you're experiencing fear and it's gripping you and controlling you, that just means you, it's okay. But you got some love that needs to be perfected in you because when you know how God feels about you, you're not going to be afraid anymore. Perfect love casts out Fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So love is this process of being perfected. It's, it's working in us. So when I'm allowing love to have its way in me, when I'm beginning to experience his love and allow that love to grow inside of me, I, and I begin to love him so much that I lo- that I begin to love what he loves. Because I love him, and how can you love him and not love what he loves? That's why, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God, but he that loves not does not know God, for God is love. If your love needs to be perfected, it's okay, it's a process, but make sure it's growing. If you're if you got 20 years on this and you're still the same grumpy old man that you were 20 years ago, you're not something's not right. It's not. We got to grow up into love. We have to grow up into Him. And if you're not growing, then something's wrong. And you want to figure out how I can get into abiding in Him, because we know from the verse before this, uh, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. See, if you're abiding in God, you got love going on. It's growing. All right, so I want to talk real quick about John the the disciple. You know, when Jesus uh, was being crucified, all the disciples scattered when when the when the, when the um, soldiers came to get him. They all scattered for a brief moment, but two of them actually ended up following Jesus once, the, once it was fairly safe enough to follow in. John was the first one to follow. And the reason we know that is because by the time Peter got to the gate of the high priest's house, John knew the high priest, and he went and spoke to the servant, and he allowed Peter to come in. So Jesus was had been arrested. He was brought into the house. Peter comes in there, but John was already there. John was the first one. And we find out with Peter, we all know what happens. I, I did a message uh, a couple, maybe last Easter or the Easter before. Check it out. It, 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 um, it's called Peter's Resurrection, and it's... It, Man, just check it out. But it kind of goes to what I'm talking about right now. But I want to compare John and Peter for a minute. John was the first one there. Peter comes in. Peter gets tested. Hey, you're one of his disciples. Oh, no, I'm not. What was he operating in then? Fear. So love hadn't been perfected yet. He actually was scared to be identified with the one that he swore just a little bit ago that he would lay down his life for. I'm not knocking on him. I've been there, done that. I'm guilty. Just saying. John comes in. When Jesus goes to the cross, who was there? His mama, a few ladies, the only disciple that was, the only apostle that was there was John. He is the only apostle that stood at the cross and watched him suffer. Why is that? What made him different than the other eleven? Turn over to um, well, you don't have to turn there, but John, in John 21:20, and and also in John 13:23, throughout the book of John as you read it, John never mentions his own name. He only identifies himself really three times, but really two, and both times he says, "I'm the disciple that Jesus loved." Think about that. Some people read that and think, What an arrogant jerk, you know. He thinks he's the one that Jesus loved. You're missing it. What's your name? Hey, Paul, what's your name? <laughs> if I if I was like if I came up to Paul and I didn't know him, I'm like, hey, hey, who are you? I'm Paul. Well, who's Paul? Well, you know, we identify with who our name is. You know, I mean? it's like who we are. Who are you? Well, I'm Travis. Well, what do you do is usually the next question. You know, who are we? Well, what do you do? You know, but it's usually your name and then what you do. When John comes to introduce himself, there's only one thing that comes out of him. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. It was so personal to him. It wasn't a a mental concept. It was a reality inside his heart that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, if you turn over to John 13, you're going to see something that is amazing, and I think it's evidence of the fact that this love revelation was working inside of him. In John 13, verse 23, just to paint the picture, this is the Last Supper, and Jesus is... um, I mean, it's his last time with his disciples before the cross, so you know this is a serious meeting. And Jesus is beginning to say, you know, that one of you is about to betray me. He's talking about Judas. And in verse 23, it says, uh, well, let's start in 21. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is whom he is speaking. And he, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? I think that's so rich. Peter wasn't yet perfected in love, was he? Proof's in the pudding. And Peter's having to ask John to ask Jesus. That kind of tells you something. Where was John? He was consumed with being near to Jesus. He was so in love with him. He had already seen that he is the disciple that Jesus loves. And so where is he? He's he's laying on his chest. You ain't laying down without me being... You ever had a kid like that, or, or, or even a dog. I mean, it's like my dog, wherever I go, it goes. It can't stand to be out of my sight. I mean, it's horrible. I mean, I can't, well, it ain't horrible. I love it, actually. But every room I go into, the dog follows me. If I get up, even if I'm going to the kitchen to grab something, turn around and come back, and I'll be like, stay still, stay right there. I am coming right back. I go in the kitchen, I grab what I need, and of course, I turn around, there's a the dog at my ankle. It can't stand to be away from me. That's John. He couldn't see, he loved Jesus. He loved him. Why did he love him? Because he was the disciple that Jesus loved. The scripture says, it is written, somewhere it is written. <laughs> it's in first John. We love him because he first loved us. Freely, Matthew 10, 8, freely receive, freely you have received, freely give. See, you can't give away something you don't have. You can't love God without him first loving on you. It's impossible. But when you begin to experience his love, Experiential. First, you know, uh, Ephesians 3, that I might know, experientially know the love of Christ that surpasses mere head knowledge, that I might be filled up to the very fullness of God. How are we filled up to the very fullness? Having experiential encounters wrapped up in the love of God that transforms us into the place that we're actually full of God. How do you get full of God? you 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 find out and you experience something beyond just a head knowledge but he loves me i am the disciple that jesus loved and when we get to that place where it gets past our head and becomes a reality in our heart all of a sudden things are different things are different 1 john 4:19 thank you actually there it is 1 john 4:19 just <laughs> looking right at it um You know, John is the only disciple that wasn't martyred. Isn't that interesting? There is something about love being perfected that when love is perfected in you, and I talked about this last week, that's why it's so important. I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. I don't have the time to go into what I preached last week, but this is a piggyback off of that. But when we have experienced the love of God and it has begun to be perfected in us, all of a sudden my love capacity has been changed. As he begins to love on me, my love capacity begins to grow and I begin to love him and, and others in a way that I would never have loved him if I wouldn't have encountered his love. As he, as I encounter His love, I'm changed, and now I can love Him. And you get into the place where you're no longer seeking what pleases you anymore because you're so lovesick. I got to be with Him. I want to please Him. I want Him to be happy. Your your mindset shift from God give me this, God do this, God do that, God da 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 da. I want this, da da da. Don't get me wrong, I do that. It's okay to ask for that. But there is a shift that takes place where that becomes secondary. And primary is, Lord, what do you want? What pleases your heart? How can I be a blessing to you? You know, when I was a child, I I had no idea what my parents' love was really about. I'll be honest. I took it for granted. I accepted it. I was a brat. Everything was about me. I get married. I have kids. All of a sudden, I'm in love with this daughter, and the light bulb goes off, and it's like, holy cow, look at how what they did for me. They look at all the stuff, and now I get it. I get it. Now I know why they didn't beat me with a stick when I was playing piano at 1230 at night. I guess they were, now they should have. But I get it. They love me so much. They were just happy I was doing something good. They they, they put up with me. Why? Cuz they love me. And that was the revelation that I got when I had my kids. You know, it was like, "Oh my god, this is this is love. My parents love me like this." Before when I was a child, I was unaware of really any of the the, the hearts behind my parents' actions. It wasn't until I became a parent that all of a sudden the appreciation for my parents came. And that's the way it is when you mature. When you're a child, it's all about me, 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 me. Baby, give me a bottle. Clean my diaper. Put me to bed. Me, 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 me. But when you become a mature adult, now you're walking into places like, Father, how can I be a blessing to you? How can I love you? How can I help you? What's your desire today? What would bring you joy how can I bring you joy? It's a shift. And see, when we become like John and say, and get the revelation that I am the disciple that Jesus loved, it brings you to the cross. You would rather, you're so in love with Jesus, you would rather watch him die than to be away from him. Think about it. He wasn't there. He was not there staring at the Messiah dying that he had been close with for three and a half years, who had laid his head on his chest. He wasn't there because he had revelation fully of the resurrection and what was being done at that moment. He didn't understand that all the sins of all the world were being paid for from all from the beginning, from Adam all the way into the end of time when man, when this whole thing's wrapped up. He didn't understand that Christ was the propitiation for our sins yet. He wasn't there to watch this revelation play out. He didn't know any of that. He thought this was the end, but he had to be there. Why? He was in love. He already was willing to risk his own death because to be at the cross at that moment was to risk death. That's why Peter and the rest of the disciples were running because to be at the Lord's crucifixion was to risk your own death at that moment. But he didn't care. He had to be with him. He had already picked up his cross and followed him, so there was no need for him to be martyred. That's my opinion. I'm not saying that thus the gospel, but that's my opinion. No go. I'm so glad you guys came. Y'all have a great day. And guys, please feel free to leave anytime you have to. I just I don't want you to. I'm long-winded. Church is always longer than. And if you need to go, you're not hurting anybody's feelings. We know, we get, life happens and life's going on, so. But also, I don't want to stop doing, you know, what we're doing if God's moving, so. But I don't want to keep doing it if God ain't moving. (laughs) Um, So anyway, here's, 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 I'll wrap up with this. Paul, this is how important Revelation is, and this is, Paul tells us to pray, you know, that we would um, have the spirit of wisdom and revelation into Christ Jesus. Told us to pray that. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of the Son of God. We're we're to get a spirit, and a a revelatory. Y'all understand what I mean when I say revelation? It's like all of a sudden you don't know something and the light bulb goes off and all of a sudden you see it and it just fills you up. For revelation, a light bulb comes on. Paul says, the gospel I preach, I did not receive it from man, but I received it by revelation. Our gospel must be revelatory. You have to get a revelation that Jesus is the way. Man can tell it to you, but if you don't have that revelation, it's not real. you got to get a revelation, and that comes from seeking God. You seek God, he finally shows you something, the light bulb comes on. So here's what I've been doing, and this is what I want to encourage you all to do, because if you do this thing this will transform your life more than anything else. I believe that. And I've been letting you, like last week I did this and I let you in into my secret place and and this is what I'm doing and what I'm going to continue to do and I'm inviting you to do the same thing. Lord, give me a revelation of how much you love me. Let it come from heaven like a light bulb coming on. Give me a revelation. Help me experientially encounter and know so that I can believe the love that you have for me. Lord, I want to partake of your love this morning. I want to feel it. I want to encounter it. I want to feed on it. I want to know your love experientially. and what happens is the bible says you know you, you, if you ask you will receive and that word ask actually in the greek is if you continually ask if you continually ask you receive if you continually seek you find if you continually knock the door will be open to you luke tells us and he goes through you know if you've been evil no have good give give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And you know, when you receive the Spirit, love is birthed inside of you. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I laid on the floor. It knocked me to the floor, and I cried and cried and cried, and I cried with a depth of tears that you cannot manipulate or make happen. It was just an overwhelming Reality that I was loved, that I was loved, that I was loved. I experienced, I experienced a love that I had never known before, because I had only known it by head knowledge. But I experienced it. But when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit comes, there's love for God is love, and I'm enc- and I'm encouraging. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, don't you can be baptized today. You can receive the spirit into your spirit. You can be clothed with power from on high. And that's going to come in love because that's, <laughs> that's who he is. But I'm inviting you all to start asking God for a revelation into how much he loves you. Pray it every day for a month. Just do that for me. As a church, can we do that? Every day for a month, pray for revelation on how much God loves you. Do it. And I guarantee you, at the end of the month, something's going to be different. Because you ask, you'll receive. And you're going to receive a revelation on how special. You know, there's nobody else like you. Nobody else. You were unique. You were uniquely created. God loves you. You're so different than anybody else. And I said this last time. God doesn't love you with leftover love. Like, hey, I, I, yeah, I love you. But I really love so-and-so over here because he's just so awesome. He's been doing this and doing that. He's got this gift going on. He's walking in all this awesome stuff, and you're not walking any of that. So I love you, but not like that, no. When God loves us, he loves us with all of his love. It's not partialed out like here, I'm going to give a little bit of love here and a little bit of love there. He loves each of us fully. And as we begin to drink that in, we're redeemed at that moment that we begin to partake and drink of his love, you know what happens? We get delivered from the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that got us looking at ourselves and caused us to run and hide and began to clothe ourselves with fig leaves so that no one could see how we really are. When we, get, when we drink of his love, we're set free from that thing in our flesh that causes us to run and hide. Because we're looking at ourselves from a wrong lens and we're seeing ourselves based on the knowledge of good and evil rather than based on his love for us. Because that's the only measuring stick that there is. How does God feel about us? And he loves you fully, just like he loves everybody else on the earth. He loves you fully and completely. So, my invitation and my request of each of you is that you would, from this day on for the next month, just cry out every day as you begin to spend time with God, spend time with God alone, get alone with God. If you're not doing that, do that. Set aside time to be alone and ask God by the Holy Spirit to reveal how he feels about you, to to taste of his love. And I promise you, you'll start praying that on a regular basis because it's so powerful. All right, are we good?